This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. What about you? Have you come here today to serve or to be served? Have you come to give or to get? Have you come to feed others or to be fed? If this were a restaurant, would you see yourself sitting at the table waiting for someone to serve you? Or would you be standing at the table waiting to serve others? Serve or be served? Not as simply a question for this afternoon, but it has to do with our fundamental approach to life. Most of us have grown up in a Western culture where we have been conditioned to think of ourselves as consumers. We have been born to shop. It starts in early childhood, when we want to have the same toy or bicycle, or these days computers, as everyone else. As we get older, our toys get more expensive. And it's not just the stuff that we want, but it's the lifestyle that it denotes. And it's insidious because it appeals to the very self-centeredness, which is such an innate part of what it means to be human. And that is why the words of Jesus are such a challenge. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's face it, Jesus would be a telemarketer's nightmare he didn't come to get anything, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Over the past several years, Angela and I have had the privilege of being present at many strategic meetings of the Anglican Communion. We've come to know the primates as real people, not merely as figureheads. And in particular, we've had many encounters with various Archbishops of Canterbury. Justin Welby and his two predecessors, Rowan Williams and George Carey. They all have an impossible job, actually several jobs. And even though I may not always agree with each one of them, I have still enjoyed the times that we have met. One of my favorite encounters was with Archbishop Rowan in Lambeth Palace in London. It's been the official home of the Archbishop since the year 1200, and it's full of history, some of it quite bloody. Walking along the various hallways, you are confronted by larger-than-life portraits of former archbishops, most of them looking rather grim. It's an imposing place, and as I walked down the main hallway, I almost bumped into the archbishop as he wandered out of his study, carrying a tray on which sat an old-fashioned English teapot and some cups and saucers. 
And without thinking, I said, hello, it must be the new tea boy. Well, people nearby looked aghast at my irreverent comment. But Archbishop Rowan didn't miss a beat as he responded with a big smile, well, at least this is the job I can do, <laughs> to serve or be served. Joe Gatto is a longtime friend of mine who was on clergy staff with me at St. Paul's in Darien, Connecticut. He was my immediate supervisor when I was a deacon, and we worked very closely together. Joe was a great storyteller, and he told this story about himself. It seems that early in his ordained ministry, his bishop went for dinner at their home, and Joe thoroughly enjoyed the evening, while Carol, his wife, scurried around preparing the meal, serving the meal, and then cleaning up after the meal. And as was often accustomed, Joe did not lift a finger because after all, he reasoned, he was the man of the house. The bishop didn't quite see it that way. After a few minutes, he quietly stood up, went into the kitchen and started to wash the dishes. And Joe protested, bishops shouldn't do dishes. The bishop gave him a look and said, quite right. Next time I come, you will do them. Serve or be served. Let's go back to our gospel for today. It takes place at the table where the disciples and Jesus have just shared the Passover, perhaps one of the holiest nights of their lives. But sadly, it reveals that the disciples were flawed, self-centered people just like you and me. It seems that they were having an argument as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Now, you may recall that this was not exactly a new issue for them. Mark's Gospel describes a similar debate. On this occasion, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. But just before you all jump on James and John, let's be clear about one thing. They were both men of remarkable faith. They really believed in Jesus. They believed this Galilean carpenter was headed for glory, while everyone else thought he was headed for destruction. They had faith in Jesus, and they were confident that the day would come when he would establish his kingdom. All they wanted was to be given cabinet-level positions in his new administration. And based on the evidence before them, that took considerable faith. But they did have a fatal flaw. They didn't know how to serve. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Not exactly the best way to begin any conversation, especially with the savior of the world. James and John were demanding that Jesus fit into their plans. 
They weren't thinking about adjusting to his plans. They wanted their own way. Now, they were sincere. They were full of faith. But they got it all wrong. A true servant says with Jesus, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. It replaces the contemporary idol of me, mine, myself, with a willingness to submit to God's agenda. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, even though their request was outrageously self-centered, Jesus continued the conversation. And in so doing, he gave them and us a wonderful lesson on what it means to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Immediately prior to this incident, Jesus had told the disciples that he had to go up to Jerusalem. He also warned them that he would be betrayed to the religious leaders who would mock him, spit upon him, flog him, and finally kill him. And the cup of suffering that he would drink and the baptism he would experience were graphic descriptions of his impending death. So what he was really saying was this, are you really willing to follow me? Are you ready to offer your lives? Are you really sure you can do that? See, Jesus knew that was the price of their request. Greatness in the kingdom would cost them their lives. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they had been prepared. Now history teaches us that both James and John did die an agonizing death for their faith. But not before they faced the fury of their fellow disciples. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And then Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And this is almost word for word what Jesus said in our gospel lesson. And so it seems they didn't get it the first time around. You see, it was radical stuff then, and it is radical stuff today. In today's culture, servanthood is not exactly highly regarded. It was not much different at the time of Christ. Anyone who was anyone had slaves and indentured servants, including the Jews. And the measure of a man's greatness was the number of servants that he owned. Today, we aren't quite so crude. But we still tend to look up to the people who have power over others. Because nobody wants to be bottom of the ladder. For almost 17 years, Angela and I lived in Northern Virginia, on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., and witnessed firsthand its fascination with this kind of power. We met lots of people with the James and John syndrome. I'm sure you could also name a few. But perhaps the greatest tragedy is that the church has taken on much of the world's understanding of power. 
But that is not the way it's meant to be. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Some years ago, we were in London at Southwark Cathedral for the consecration of a dear friend, Michael Winnie, as bishop in the Church of England. Michael Green, author and theologian, some of you may have heard of him, was a preacher for the service. And I still recall the moment when he turned to Michael and said, Michael, in a few minutes, they're going to call you my Lord. Don't you believe it for one minute? There's only one your Lord and you're not him. But Jesus is a very different kind of Lord. The prophet Isaiah declared he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. You see, Jesus gave his life that we might find life. He paid the ultimate price so that we could have eternal reward. He also showed us the way to really live. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, for many of our sisters and brothers around the Anglican Communion, that means risking their lives. I know many of them, and I'm always humbled by their faithfulness. And even though not many of us will be asked to risk our lives for our faith. Self-denial always demands that we give of ourselves. It's always costly. But deep down inside, most of us know that it is indeed better to give than to grab, to let go rather than to cling. But we sometimes need a reminder to believe that is true. And Jesus gives us that reminder today. The more we give, the more we are like him. I was born during the latter years of the Second World War. And I remember very little of the devastation that took place. However, I do recall seeing many cities bear the scars of enemy bombs for years and the deprivation that afflicted many people. It took England a long time to recover. Perhaps the saddest aftermath was the number of children who were orphaned. Shortly after the war ended, an American soldier was making his way back to his barracks in London early one chilly morning. As he turned a corner in his jeep, he spotted a little boy with his nose pressed to the window of a bakery. Inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of doughnuts, and the hungry boy stared in silence, watching his every move. The soldier pulled his jeep to the curb, got out, and walked quietly over to where the boy was standing. 
And through the steamed up windows, he could see the mouth-watering morsels as they were taken from the oven, piping hot. And reflected in the glass, he could see the boy licking his lips and groaning, as only little boys can groan. As he watched the cook taking them out and placing them on the counter. The soldier's heart went out to him. Son, would you like some of those? The little boy was startled. Oh yes, I would. The soldier stepped inside and brought and bought a dozen, put them in a bag and walked back to where the boy was standing in that foggy cold of the London morning. He smiled and held up the bag and said simply, here you are. As he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. He looked down and heard the child ask quietly, Mister, are you God? We're never more like God than when we give. Today we'll be ordaining Alex as a dean and deacon in the Church of God. But it doesn't mean that he is expected to do all the giving and all the serving while we all watch. God forbid. We're all called to serve. We are all called to give. Not only of ourselves, but also of our resources. Now, deacons do have special responsibilities within the church. But the whole church is called to a ministry of servanthood. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if that really happened? And an entire church was filled with men and women who simply wanted to outdo each other in serving. It would be a church where people who had too much would help those who had too little. It would be a church where everyone was valued and no one was forgotten. It would be a church where everyone received all that they had with glad and generous hearts. It would be a church where lives were transformed and God was glorified. It would be rather like the church we see described in the book of Acts. Friends, that was a church that changed the world for good. And we can still be that church. It doesn't take too much. All we have to do is to remember that we are here to serve and not to be served. Alex, I do have a special word for you, so if you could disentangle and stand. Alex, I charge you here in the presence of Almighty God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, 
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Father God, I thank you and bless you for this day, for this word, for this your servant. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.